0: For the SBS studios in Ataman, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from. I pay my respects to the Kamaragal people of the Guringai Nation and their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Hi, I'm Suraj Kolaka. I am an immigrant and I am fascinated by immigrant stories. They have everything, hope, passion, fear, alienation, and triumph. My guest today is Grace Arach from Uganda. Grace was abducted at a very young age and turned into a child soldier in Joseph Kony's army. She was able to escape her horrible situation and eventually moved to Australia with the mission.
1: My name is Grace Arach, so originally from Uganda. And I'm from the northern part of Uganda, which is Gulu district. So my childhood is, is really hard to explain because my parents did separate when I was young. I don't know how old I was in uh, our cultural background. So men are allowed to marry more women. Right. Uh, I think it's polygamy. So my dad has other w- women as well. And uh, I think my mom didn't like it. And so she decided to leave my dad. My dad decided to pay my mom's bright price. So... Uh, Basically, I belong to my dad's side.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. And then,
1: yeah. So my dad had the right to, my dad's family or him has the right to take me away from my mom. So one day he just came back. He picked me from school. I was just starting school. But usually it wasn't that school because I would, um, in the village where my mom's, my mom's side village is where the There were older children, so I was the youngest, and I didn't want to stay home alone, so I followed them at school, but I'll be playing under the tree while waiting for them. And my dad came and and picked me, so I went and spent time with my stepmom, which she was really, really um, not nice, and I would eat after her kids have eaten, and I would sleep on the floor when my dad is not there because my dad... um, he was the army, so he's always moving up and down with his work, and yeah, until one day, uh, the neighbors. So the neighbors would, if my dad goes away, she would beat me for no reason. Oh,
0: I'm sorry And then to my hear
1: that. yeah, and then my dad. Um, they so the other officers, because my dad was a, a rank of a captain, so they would ask my dad, "Is this girl your wife's daughter?" And my dad would say "Yes." But one day, um, my dad pretended that he went, and mm. then he came back. And phone her, so beating me, and then um dad then decided to remove me to stay with some of the relatives before I went back that was I was in around um six or seven then my dad uh placed me to to be with his other wife, which she was a little bit um like a good mom to me a good stepmom and then i my dad was killed in uh two th- 1995. By the rebel group, and then I was abducted in 1996 and um, spent some time so we were in Sudan moving around. I was trained um, as a, a soldier. I got shot on my left chest, and uh, the bullet was removed anyway. Um, they didn't have a doctor, but someone who is brave, who just because it didn't penetrate, so it's, it's, it sticks there. And then he just got a knife and they cut the first time they couldn't. It was deeper. They waited a little bit and then um, cut it out.
0: So you were abducted, trained into a child soldier, and then you got shot below the shoulder on, on your left side?
1: Uh, when I was abducted, I was 12, so I was still young. I didn't have uh, my boobs, so it was just right on, but now it's a little bit lower here. So, yeah, but it didn't penetrate, um, so it stayed in. And I like I had three, so I have like three marks for one bullet because they cut the other. So the one that went through, and then the second one, they tried to cut it. It was deep. They had to wait for it a little bit, then cut it. So I have three scars for one bullet. My too. goodness. Yeah. First of all, we didn't have any medication. So they would clean the wound with... Boil water and I'm scared of boil water and then there was a lady that would help to keep because they have to keep the wound but the water was too hot she ended up burning the whole of my chest and when I'm taking off my top I just peel with the skin for quite a long time yeah but then later on it got better and um, so 1996 1997 uh, we went to Sudan so spent most of the time in Sudan because the Lord resistant Army, which is led by Joseph Kony, was based in, in South Sudan. But they would right. come to Uganda, move around in the northern part of the country just to operate, abduct. But mostly they abduct children uh, because they just realize it's easy, easy to brainwash oh, children. To train and brainwash yeah. them. and also because he used to say our parents didn't like us, and when we escape, we come home, they'll kill. And which is true because a uh, few people escaped and they came home and probably kill everyone in their village and cut down all the trees and destroy all the crops that are put in the farm. Oh,
0: my God. Kony and the, the yeah. rebel group was yeah. doing that.
1: Yeah, because you escape. So then also that brainwash you, you get scared to escape yeah. anyway. Yeah, so I stayed there for uh, five years.
0: So what was the day-to-day like in...
1: So while in Uganda, we we kept on walking. So we walked throughout the day because I remember... There was a time. So I was given as a wife to um, second to Joseph Kony. His name was Otila Gonya at that time, but he was killed by Joseph Kony anyway. Um, so every morning we have to walk. So you have to carry food. Um, you carry your gun as well. You have to carry probably four magazines on your chest. My goodness. And then just keep walking. Because when I was abducted, I thought, we they were going somewhere. And I asked, I said, when are we reaching home? Because I just... Don't really understand. And then they said, there's no home. And where are we going? We're just walking. So we walk day and night and then just sleep over in the night or or cook once. And Mm. then you just... Um, sleep on the floor even when it's raining because you're too tired. we don't only the bosses have the tent, we make for them the tent, but we don't have tent oh so right. then, yeah, but then in Sudan when they went it's, it was more like a like a home state, um because you know in our culture, the homes they are more of grass touch house, yeah, I don't know if you Understand grass touch house.
0: I've seen some photos. Yeah. Yes, so yes, yeah.
1: yeah. so it's something like that. So, like, um, they have that is like a more of a home. So, you have, let's say, like a Joseph Corn, which he was the general commander. So, I think he had over 30 wives, kind of. So, and then they have like a grass touch house, different one around. And then they have the escorts and, and that. So, but while in Sudan, we go do farm work. So, like, you go to the farm from six probably come back around four mm. so like we're trying to produce food enough for everybody because it's a yeah but um while in uganda is a different scenario walking down walking up and down and probably looking for a fight from the government troop
0: yeah so you're you would going have to the to, barracks and you'd have to fire your gun at uh other people during fights and things
1: yeah so the government the government troop the All ugandan right. government and Yeah, and then we stayed for some time and then in 2001 uh, just decided. So we were, there was no food, so we were selected to go and, and carry food. So we went, which of course they get food from the South Sudanese um, civilian. Hmm. Yeah, so you walk a long distance and... I had a disagreement with the commander because he wanted me to carry like a three basins, which is a lot. And, after, and I had four magazines
0: right. and to
1: carry. And I told him, I said, well, because my chest still hurt. It hasn't, well, I can't carry that. i just carry less. So then on the way, I just said, do you know what? I'm just tired I'm going to go home because there's no way you'll ever say you'll escape you'll be killed immediately so they thought I was joking Yeah Yeah even if you're joking they hear you saying I'm going to escape you'll be killed oh, and they wow. might kill you for a week you know so they'll just beat you and then probably decide to cut something or, you know just a oh, punishment like
0: torture and things like Yeah
1: before you die and so I said where well, I'm going to go I'm uh, just going to go home but then they didn't believe because you can't say that.
0: Yeah, because yeah. you'll get tortured yes. and killed. Yeah, you'll yeah.
1: be killed. So, and after they kill Ottila Gorn, I was given to the um, the head of security to Joseph Korn. So basically, we were like the um, the inside security as well. So we are rostered on duty, but then mm. that time Kong has gone somewhere, so he wasn't in the big camp. Right. And if he comes back, I'll have to be on duty two weeks. Right. Yeah, so then I I came home and told those two ladies, I said, I'm planning to escape and I want to come with you guys because when I leave you behind, you can't come by yourself. Yeah. And so then they asked me, did you tell anyone? I said, yeah, I told everyone that I went with them. And they said, get killed I said I think no one took it seriously
0: <laughs> so you had said I'm going to escape and because it was such a crazy thing to imagine because you'll get tortured and killed nobody would have believed it
1: no they wow. didn't and around 10 I move around and check all the boys were sleeping. Right. So I could remove their gun, put back, they were not waking up. And then I went to the room and told the ladies, because they had little babies.
0: And that's how you'd check if someone was sleeping, if you'd pick up the gun and see if they would grab the gun back? Wow, yeah. that, that's bold.
1: <laughs> and then um, I told the mothers, I said, we have to go. Hmm. And I told them to, um, because the way African, do carry the kit. Babies on their back. Right. So they put the baby and then you tie it and I told them to get probably few of them so that the babies don't feel when we're moving. Because we have to walk a distance right. to cross the barracks itself.
0: How many babies did you have to carry?
1: Two, the mothers two. Right. Yeah, so one each. Wow. Yeah. So I escaped with two 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 ladies. And then we walked. But even up to now when I remember the process, I just yeah, I felt it was really scary. So we were not clever enough. So we didn't pick our shoes. We said the shoes will make noise. So we were tiptoeing and a long distance to tiptoe. Barefoot? Yes. Right. So we had to tiptoe. And along the way, there were also other soldiers guarding as well because as we leave our place, there are other commanders. So they just keep the circle like that. And we right. have to cross. We have to cross. Right. And then by that time, they realized we were not in the house because we were supposed to go to the farm at five. Yeah. And now they're looking for us. They said, oh, okay, they've escaped. And then they checked I'm not there. And then they checked the other one. Her name was um, Rose. And then they checked Vicky is not there. They checked the two babies. Because I have committed a big offence, first of all, taking their women and children worse. And not only one, but two. Two women, two children. I had to apologize because like, I started panicking because then I was blaming myself for convincing these ladies to go. Right. And they will get killed, I don't mind me being, getting killed, but then them, they didn't plan that it was my fault. So then I said, okay, let's run as fast as we can. So I asked them to run, but then I remained behind. So I had to, so I had to squat and I would see the boys that I checked on them, they were sleeping, they were running, trying to follow us because everybody's running that, no, we have to look for them. They should have gone very far. And I was squatting there, so I let them pass. And I said, okay, we have to run and go the other side. So we ran. I said, we have to run as fast as we can do. And I don't know where we're going, but we have to move far away from here. With then the we babies. Figure out, yeah. yeah, the babies. And remember, we were not wise enough. We left our shoes. And, and oh. the grass was just burnt. And like all our... Sharp. Yes. Thorns and like all our feet is swollen.
0: Oh, because and you've walked in such a yeah, big circle. We, yes,
1: and also crossing the river, there's a lot of things under the river oh, without shoes.
0: Biting and yes, yeah. yeah. So
1: sharp things, and <sighs> and then we we ran. Thank God, probably, you know. Sometimes they say you pray something, we guide you. So we went the right direction, and when we got there, I spotted the South Sudanese soldiers up. So they usually have someone up on the tree so that they can spot far away when someone coming. I spotted them first. Watchtower. Yeah. Yeah. I spotted them first before them spotting me. And so I told the ladies to hide and I went so like I put my hand up and like I surrender like I was saying Um, You know, because they used to call us Gorilla because we lived in the bush. So like I said, I'm Gorilla Escape, I just need some help. Because I couldn't speak Arabic as well. So then the soldier was from the north. So Right, different language. Yeah, they speak Arabic, like the light-skinned Sudanese, they're from Karatum. And he couldn't understand English. I would speak a little bit of English because I was in primary seven.
0: You had to show you weren't a threat. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not. So yeah.
1: yeah, and thank God there was another South Sudanese, a, a, a darker skin soldier was there, so he came. Like the, the, the two words Arabic a word that I know. I said I want to go to Yaukuba, and I've escaped. I need protection, yeah. and so then they said, okay, we go. And then I said I have some friends as well. Can I bring them? But I had given the ladies warning. I said as soon as they shoot me, they should run.
0: Oh because there was every chance that you might get killed.
1: Yeah, so then they should run.
0: Oh, uh, so you were basically to protect them, you were saying let me go test it out. L- let me see if it's safe, but if I get executed by them, run.
1: Yeah, because it's my fault. Like I'm blaming myself for.
0: Oh my goodness. For
1: convincing them to escape yet I didn't have a, like a, the plan. I didn't have any plan. I just got upset and I said I'm going. Like we, you know. But anyway, so it worked out. So we went. And then we went to the barracks. And the barracks, their overall boss, he was, he had two, he was a lieutenant. And I, I went straight to him and I said, you know what, we escaped and we need help. And these people are following us already because they can see our trail. They're coming and we just need your protection. Then he said, well, they'll come here. The only thing we can do is to keep you indoor so you're not coming, you're not getting out. And so we were taken to a small grass touch house. Then they closed the door. It's, it was really scary. It's like it was exactly what Con said you escape, they'll lock you in, they'll punish you, they'll kill you, so you're safer here. Oh. We were trying to imagine that, but I was just pretending to the ladies that I am strong because I still blame myself for doing that. And I told the boss, I said, We just need your protection. I look at him and smile. And I said, you know what? If they get me, they'll take me dead because I don't want to be like punished and killed. In so I'd rather kill myself. And then he looked at me and saying, how will you kill yourself? So he had other escorts like standing because he's a big man. Then I said, I don't think that man is stronger than me. So I'll get the gun from him.
0: Wow. Yes.
1: And then he looked at me and I said, I'll kill myself. And so we stayed in, and then where we are, they kept us in. They give us food to eat there. And also when you want to wee, you wee there. You can't go out. Right. So we sat there for two days. The rebel group were there, so they were trying to lay the ambush. They knew we were there because our food came there. Yeah, the but tracks. Yes, yeah. yeah. They followed the tracks mm. in the morning, so they knew we were there. They kept on coming. The boss said, no, they're not here. They didn't come here. If you come here, we should. But then also a few months before that, if you escape, you get killed. So one of the, one of the ladies that I was with her, she tried to escape and she was beaten to death.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So and then um, I think by that time, South Sudan signed a agreement with uh, UNICEF and United Nations that if we escape, they shouldn't give us back. So when I had over the radio, that's why I decided probably we could escape. Although after that, Kony banned all the radio, so we couldn't listen to ah. any radios.
0: So over the radio, you'd heard about this agreement. Yes. And you knew that if you got to the South Sudanese soldiers, you had a better chance of staying alive. Yes. Because you wouldn't be returned yeah. to Kony.
1: Yeah, so that is, so we, we did that, and then there was one. After three days, I think four, I can't remember well, we were taken to Juba Town, which is now the capital of, of South Sudan, the new country. And they had a very slight window. So they would do patrol. They find them, they're still there waiting. So they were waiting on the bridge. Wow. And so one day they said, Well, they're not there with this window. Just dump us in the car, in the in a, like a truck. And then we crossed quickly to Juba Town. But then when at Juba, they took us to jail, which is that what Khan said, if you do, they'll take you to jail.
0: So everything that... Yeah, so
1: like now we're flashing back. Like I'm flashing back. I said, oh my God, my The brainwashing my is coming yeah, true. So, yeah. yeah, so then I asked them because I was always quick at asking questions. Then I said, why are we here? And then he said, well, this is only safe place that they can't get here because... They also, they have their homes in Juba. So like Joseph Konya and other commanders, they have their home in Juba and their wife as well.
0: Right. So then
1: some army as well, that in Juba. So they said, when we allow them to be here, one place that they're not allowed to come in is the jail. So you will stay here. And then I said, I'm not getting in the jail. I'll just sit outside. So then UNICEF came quickly and they got accommodation, a safe place. A little bit later in the evening, they pick us and then the following day we were taken to Karatum. Wow, process. so if
0: you hadn't said anything, they would have just locked you up in, in the jail and you have escaped from one horrible situation into jail.
1: Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know if that is because there were so many people in jail there yeah. and I asked them, say, what have they done? Because mm. there were Ugandan as well. They said, well, they've committed crime or oh, they came here without a paper or, or something like that. But for our case, it was different. And then he said it's safe. Um, to be here, and they were really kind. And then when I escaped, so many people realized that I've escaped. So many people escaped after that. And when I asked them, I said, why have you? And then they said, where you escaped? So wow. then we thought we should follow you. And then I said, that's really stupid because <laughs> <laughs> you could be killed. <laughs> yeah. Like, there were so many people. And because I felt like I, I was where I would help, them. So I would go around the barracks and check who is sick and then I would cook for them or I would go and report to the boss. I said, Well, there's, you know, there's a sick kid there and they don't have food. I think they should bring them here until they get better. We get them back and I can cook for them. So many people know me because I've been kind to them and yes. And then they just say, Oh, she's gone. We're also going. Like I said.
0: Wow. So your like, escaping inspired a lot yeah, of people Yeah, Yeah,
1: which was, thank God you survived, but it was a stupid um,
0: risk. Yes, yeah.
1: but of course life is is, is is all about risk and so most people who didn't escape and they've lost their lives and so, yeah. But then I came to Well Vision hmm. um, Rehabilitation Centre where we, I stayed there for... A few months and I get to help the former child soldiers because I knew them before and also while in Karatum we were together and so build that relationship and because remember um, most of them as, as I say they're children and like they're being mistreated by adults so we have a little bit of that lack of trust in adult because like definitely we expected them to protect us but that didn't happen. So of you course. can't just meet someone and build that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I would help and even, you know, after they came back, there's a lot of uh, stigma and many people have been rejected by their families and all that. So I would go go with after reuniting them back into the community i would go and just spend a day with them because i didn't really have anything but what i have is my time and put a smile on their face i've been doing that for um, quite a long time until i moved to australia and i'm still working on a charity to still to continue to help them so then i I went back to school and then other um, people because most of the children did were not at school, so they couldn't go to school. Uh, some did vocational skill training, some didn't do anything. And the girls who came back with their children, they just continued to, you know, so finding it hard because uh, most of them, their parents rejected them and saying, we don't want to keep any rebel child, which is... Or oh, the
0: baby. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, and I think the struggles still um, continue up to now. They, you know, they have relationship issues. Some of them, uh, they got into relationship and, and, and the men were uh, happy to say, we'll keep the child, and then later on, we don't want. So every time I go home, I just sit to listen to their problem. And it's just um, too much issues, still stigma, isolation. um, They're being excluded from um, everything and all that. So, yeah.
0: So difficult. Uh, How did you uh, reunite uh, with your mother? At what point did that happen?
1: Um, So my mom was at school. Um, She was doing nursing, so she was doing some training. And so before uh, I was abducted, they abducted my cousin. He was younger. He was seven. So he was abducted earlier. And then from there, while he was with um, Joseph Korn Group, the Lord Resistant Army Group, he was re-abducted by another group in Sudan.
0: Right. Abducted a second time. Yes. Right.
1: So we went to Karatoum which is... The final destination before we travel to Uganda. The day we arrive in Karatum is the day they were leaving for Uganda to right. come to Uganda. And so they were excited. They're just saying hello, hello, hello. And then I, I looked at him and then he lost the language. So you'd only speak Arabic.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So he was trying to learn to say hello in my local language, which he hasn't spoken for a long time. And I look at him, then I say, Where are you from? So then he said, I'm from Pabo. That's where my. My my mum's home is. And then I said, which side? So then he said, the village. Then and he said, said, hang on. Then I said, hey. <laughs> and then I said, okay, who is your aunt? Because the only aunt she has is my mum. Yeah. Yeah, and then he said, Doreen. I said, but that's my mum. Wow. And then we all started crying. And like I said... Oh my God, what happened? So he told me I was, you know, I was reabducted, and then now I escaped and this and that. And he looks so different. He's grown, like, uh. you know. So, and then he told me, I got a letter. Um, grandma passed away like two years ago, my mom's mom. And we all love her so dearly because we spend so much time with her. And then I said, Oh, that's really sad. And then he said, yeah. And then when he came, he told mom that I actually met Grace and she would be coming probably the next... Lot coming to Uganda. And because my family and my dad's family already had... When I got shot on my chest, someone escaped and told my mom, your daughter was killed. Oh, no. So then my mom fighting my dad's family not to do my funeral. Right. Yeah. So then when he came and then he said, I actually saw her. She's okay. And then my mom said, no. So she was like... Waiting for me, but she didn't tell my dad's family because she just she she really wanted to make sure that it's me. Maybe yeah, she wanted to see. Yeah, with maybe her own it's eyes, not. Yeah. So so then um when I came and then the David, which is my cousin, he came out met me and I phoned him he was okay. And then I said, so you haven't died? I said, no, that actually okay. Remember we had that suspicion they'll poison you in food, water, or. We couldn't, even when we are sick, we don't want injection. They'll inject you or something like that. And then he said, no, it's actually fine. I've met everyone. Everyone is fine. And his dad, no, I called. I said, his uncle there? I said, yeah, uncle is there. Everyone is there. And they've come here and I've gone home. I've seen them and everyone is fine. I said, have you seen mom? I said, yeah, she's at school. I've seen her. And so and then I thought, wow, well, vision. I want to go and see my mom. Hmm. But then, being a child, I was really upset because I... It doesn't make sense. But I wanted my mom to follow me and bring me back. Yeah. Then I said, Well you why didn't you follow me? Like you know, even when I was like almost eighteen, I still think, Why didn't my mom follow me? Mm. So that means you don't like me. Why didn't you follow me? No one followed to bring me back, you know, and I've gone all through this but no one bothered. And so I, I wanted to see my mom. When I went, I started crying, I came back. So she kept on coming to the center and I cried and, you know, with time, I said, I've forgiven you. And probably you don't really have a choice because um, the, the, the counselor said, you know, your mom can follow and bring you. It doesn't make sense. Then I thought about it. And said, Oh, probably, maybe. Oh, well. So she kept on coming every single day. But then, yeah, then I saw her. Wow. Yeah.
0: Take have a have a sip of water. It's you know, I such a emotional moment. Yeah. But I'm okay. And uh how many years after that uh uh did you uh uh yeah. plan to come to
1: So I Australia? went to, Yeah, so I went to school and then I did um Diploma um, developmental studies, so I've always wanted to help. Mm. And I just wanted to study something that I can see how I can help in more of a holistic approach.
0: Yeah. Is that what brought you to Australia?
1: Um, so I came to Australia for a program, then I joined um, uni as well. Um, so um, I studied mental health. First of all, I wanted to understand about mental health, and so then I can understand myself and see how I can deal with myself first before helping others. Because I went to high school, I went to uni, they never talked about mental health. So it's the way they describe it, although at the moment uh, it's changing the narrative, is changing a little bit, but usually they would say probably you've annoyed your ancestors or something has happened or being punished, you didn't respect the elders or something like that so and also there's no um, definition of mental health yeah so they would just say you're mad or you're crazy which is not mental health mm. specific so i wanted to um, study mental health and understand myself yeah and so when i came i started with certificate for mental health how gone other drugs uh and then i Did diploma, pure mental health, before I went to Sydney Uni to um, study Bachelor of Social Work. Mm. Yeah,
0: and how was your first day landing in Australia? What was that like?
1: I think I was a little bit scared because I it's a little bit hard to to make friends as well at the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The loneliness and isolation. Yes, yes.
1: Um, Because I remember, uh, remember one day I woke up and like I was standing. I said, "What the hell am I doing here?" and i said i think it's hard and because you know like in our community it's is more about community it's not yeah. about individual so you have your auntie you have your cousins and the other cousins as the other mm-hmm. cousins big you know family. yeah like a big <laughs> family you know you, you don't really um, have you don't own anything even sometimes your clothes if you have someone the same age as you you share <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know i was lucky that i had boys on so I grew up among boys and boys are really rough like it would kick me they would I would only play soccer with them and they only let me when they want it was really horrible but then so it's it's a different setup and then here is you and you can't go to anyone's home until you inform them that you're coming
0: yeah you got to call and there's you no dropping to, in no <laughs> and you have to tell them what time you're gonna be there for
1: <laughs> But <laughs> at home, I just go to someone's and stay there two days. I don't have to tell you that I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because there's always enough food. You know, so you, when we're cooking, we cook just in case yeah. someone comes up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always extra food, extra breakfast. Everything is extra. Yeah. But then while here is different, as I told you earlier. My parents you, always, yeah. were
0: saying the same thing you were saying with uh, the calling someone before you drop by. That was one of the biggest things they found <laughs> different because they, I was in the neighborhood. Knock. Yeah, oh, yeah, lovely yes. to see you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why should I call? Just walk in. <laughs>
0: Hello, yeah, oh, come
1: on. You can even sleep there. You don't really, you know. Yeah, you know, like, because we never had, you know, I think I was today with my work. I think someone was talking about how they had imaginary friends. Then I said, I don't think that existed because. We have so many kids that to yeah. play with in the village. Yeah. You don't have time for yourself. You know, here I said, oh, me time. Where will you get me time? You don't mm. have that me time. 24-7, you have someone here, you have <laughs> someone sitting there. Even in bed, you, like, you're, you're five, six, you know, like, yeah. you don't have that me time. Then I yeah. said, I don't really get it because growing up, I didn't have that. We had so many kids to play with. We played this village. We go to the next village and we would even sleep there because... The way it works, so if this village, like, if you have a young child that can't shower by themselves, so they come to my place, I have to feed them and shower them. If they're not going home, you have to, like... Put them to sleep. Yeah. They'll go the next day. So yeah. you just continue. Yeah. You know, so it's not like a child belongs to the whole community. Yeah. It's not yours. It only bothers you when in your stomach. As soon as they get out, everybody goes with the child. Yeah. You know, so it's a different setup. And then you come here. It's just only you, yeah. and you have to call someone. If you do that at home, um, I think which word I'm not sure if stingy is the right word <laughs> they could use. Yeah, yeah, because I don't have to call you that I'm coming to your place. And then you have to say, okay, I'm gonna cook extra food for you. You should always have extra food. Why do you just cook only for one person? Yeah. You know, so it's a different setup. And it was it was hard. But then, you know, they said home is where you feel safe. So I feel more safe here. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry that one day um you know, Joseph Conn will decide to come back because at the moment there's no active war except just the aftermath. Of the war which is more of intergeneration trauma that we have to work with now mm. most especially mental health you mm. know but at least i know i'm safe i can go home anytime i can go out anytime and walk back yeah. not knowing that they'll pick on me because there's still a lot of stigma and you know they still call us from a child soldiers Also said she will kill you he will kill you you know that so here no one like everyone is equally the same yeah No one calls me that and no one knows that is me unless I tell them. So I'm Mm. just like any other person, you know. So I think that is why me, I think, uh, makes here more home. Mm. But in terms of a big family, you have everyone is not, you know. But home is where you feel safe. Yeah. So and where you spend most of your time. I'm Mm. always here in Sydney and I feel safer here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah
0: and uh, is your where is your mom uh, at uh, at this day
1: so my mom is still in Gulu, yeah. like all my siblings, so I'm just here by myself so right. the friends I've made they're my families now yeah
0: yes yeah
1: yeah i've met i like I've met really lovely people and which have now become part of my family as well so yeah
0: wonderful was it difficult initially to make those friends? How did you meet uh, people in, in Australia? So,
1: so uh, I think I um, so my cousin uh, passed away. Uh, from cancer. Sorry I think two that. years yeah, two years ago. She had her husband's family here. Right. Which um they're in Sydney as well. So then now I count that as my family automatic.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and then uh, other friends like from other nationalities. So we met um one of uh my friends, she she calls herself my big sister. Um mm-hmm. we met at World Vision Blogger Day. So yeah. she does Uh, she's a blogger for Well Vision and we met in Melbourne. So I was telling her about the charity that I want to put in place to, to help for my child soldiers, uh, what they're going through now. And because I, uh, you know, cause I count myself as someone who has got enough help, of course in court, but I still struggle every day with mental health. you know. Yeah. yeah, but at least if I get knocked down, I can pick up because I got that, that, um, that skill yeah. But then uh, few are the children, no, they're not children, they're young adults yeah. that came after the foreign aid had moved to other places. They haven't got that help. So yeah. then every time I just think, like, I feel I've got enough and I still struggle every single day. What about them who haven't had any of that? How do they cope? And yeah. that's why there's so many people committing suicide because they just can't cope up. And so then setting this charity help to for them to build that skill yeah Did and you
0: know? that's so important having that support system
1: yeah because
0: yeah. personally when i was going through uh struggles with mental health as well having uh, not only my family and then people at work therapy medication all these things together yeah. helped me get out of that and uh yeah. Imagining without that, it's it's so difficult, right?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: That's why uh, you know what you're doing is is so wonderful.
1: Yeah, thank you, and because. Is because, like, you remember how our community setup is and also being rejected by the community that you're supposed to fit in and also not getting that. So it adds on to the post-traumatic stress and and mental health and also now with, you know, poverty as well. So there's too much of combination that is in there. So then I thought I should uh, build that um, charity to help support because I think everyone deserves a second chance. And so they still deserve a second chance to start a new life. And I think um we can choose to make a difference in our own way. And so for me what makes me happy is to help other people and that was keep me going every single day.
0: Wonderful. Uh, this this conversation has been has been great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and uh sharing your story and easily one of the bravest people i've ever met my goodness
1: uh, thank you. thanks for having me i appreciate it. thank you so much and thanks for listening um yeah
0: why don't you tell us what your charity is so then the listeners will uh, know about your charity and can help out
1: Uh, Yeah, so um, the charity, I decided to name it uh, um, with my local language, which is Bidokigam, meaning living with hope, because what I'm looking at is giving hope to the people at Hope Place. And I know whether you're religious or not, you always believe in hope. Everyone will say, I hope tomorrow will be better. I hope this will that. So um, more of giving hype to the people. So at the moment, um, I'm, I'm setting it up. And then um, basically a, res- um, a service that we'll provide is more of trauma-informed counseling. that I have done training on it and I feel... I relate to it, so I feel it might be um, effective. And also, as I said, most time I go to Uganda, and I'm still going to Uganda next month. Is that I I meet with the former child soldiers, and we still have people who have bullets on their body, and every t- every night they're in pain, and they don't have the resources. So and also at the moment we have GoFundMe, um, so you people can also. Um, donate to GoFundMe as well
0: wonderful what uh, how can they find it what name so, is it under? um
1: so it's on my linkedin so you can just go on linkedin and get grace arach and then you can click on the link and and also I, I know people can just donate anything or their time if they want to travel to uganda they can travel and go and meet them you know you can make um, difference in uh in many ways as well, and if they have any question, they can contact me. And I also still struggle because, like, I don't really understand the system as well. I need probably someone from marketing. I need someone from uh, technology yeah. and like <laughs> finance. So if people would volunteer and also social media, yeah, that would be great.
0: Wonderful, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, when you mention a hope. Uh, that optimism and hope that i see throughout your story right from uh, when you risked your life to see if it was safe to talk to the soldiers to when you were uh, settling into world vision and how you're helping people that optimism and hope that you had has shown through in your story throughout so i think that's very 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 nice
1: yeah thank you
0: Thank you for joining me for another episode. If you were as moved by Grace's story as I was, please support her charity that helps and honors former child soldiers. You can find it by looking up her GoFundMe. Just look up Grace Arach. The charity is called Bedo Ki which is Ugandan for living with hope. My guest next week is Jewish comedian Peter Mizell from the United States. Peter arrived in Australia in the 1970s when he heard that Australia was in desperate need for teachers and a two-year visit turned into decades in Australia. You can find more info at sbs.com.au slash year My First Year on Aussie Soil is an SBS original podcast. It's created and produced by me, Suraj Kolaka, and Danny Giles.